You think that I'm running in place? Y'all really testing my patience. Right before I blow up the spot, I had to get back to the basics. What if my talent is wasted? You see, but I'm lacking a placement. Thoughts as I rap in the basement, but my come up is legend is greatness. Welcome to the Dennis Postuma Show. I'm your host, Dennis Postuma. And today we have a real special treat for you. We have James Dixon. James, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dennis. I'm excited to be here with you, brother. I love what you're doing. I love the impact you're making. I'm glad to be able to share time with you. I'm I'm glad I can be a smidgen on the a speck on the uh, spectrum of all the things you're doing because you got some big things going on. Let's um, talk about it. We've got you got a ton of backstory. We've got so many things we got to share. Um Let's talk about how you got here in your career to where now you're big at motivational speaking. Let's talk about how, let's talk about that path first, if that's okay, on how you got here and, and what led you to this. Man, this, this is amazing. Uh, my story actually begins in a hospital bed when I was 11. Okay. I had had 33 surgeries from the time I was born up until 11, trying to fix what they thought was simply a broken leg at birth. The first surgery, I was 90 days old. Then every six months, I was having a surgery. Finally, Riley's Hospital Children for Children said there's nothing they could do. My life was destined to just be a kid with a walker, and I sit on the porch. In fact, in my community, in my neighborhood, I was known as the crippled kid on the porch. And no kids would come up. I was always so fragile because I was always fresh with stitches or trying to recover. Right. And my grandmother always would call me Superman. And uh, she was like, baby, you just got kryptonite right now, you know? And so she just kept a positive uh, mindset about it. Um, it happened to be a neighbor. I was in a very uh, racially divided community. Okay. And a neighbor that lived across the street was a Shriner. He looks out, he sees me, and he comes to my grandmother and says, uh, and in that day, it wasn't uh, inaccurate to use this phrase, but they were like, the crippled boy on the porch, you know, because I uh, was like, what's wrong with it? She was like, well, this, and they're having a conversation. He said, I'd like us to work with him and we'll cover all the expenses. So they took me from Indiana to Chicago and uh, there they did my amputation when I was 11. Now, this is where my career path really started. Okay. When I lost my leg, I didn't know I was going to lose it. I thought I was just having the surgery. I was in a, a hospital bed and there were two kids beside me. One yeah. named Matt, one named Gilbert. Um, Matt, uh, his parents had to touch him through an incubator. Gilbert was paralyzed from the neck down. And so we're in the room and we would talk. And we're like, so what you in here? What you in there for? Almost like we're in things at some certain time. Yeah. We're having this conversation. And uh, one day, Matt's not there. And his mom and dad walk in and they hand us uh, teddy bears. And, um, and I was like, well, thank you. I said, where's Matt? And they said, Matt went to heaven, you know? And uh, so it was the first time I had to deal with death. Oh and the, so the kid beside me to my right passed away. Now, being that I'm in a Shriners hospital without my parents there, uh, no family support while you're in there, right. you know, I'm afraid that I might die because this just happened. And on right. my other side of me is a kid who's paralyzed. His mom comes in maybe two days later, and she's like, son, I got to talk to you. And he's like, yeah, mama. And they closed the curtain for privacy. But because he was paralyzed from the neck down, they placed a mirror on the ceiling so that he and I could see each other face to face and communicate. His mom says, 
Gil, I can't do this anymore. This is too hard for me to keep coming to see you. I love you, son, and I, I want the best for you, but mama got to live her life too. And I remember this kid begging, saying, mama, please don't leave me. Please. Mama, I won't be bad anymore. i do whatever you say. And she's like, Gil, you're making it too hard. Now these good people are going to take care of you. I've signed over my rights. And she left. So I'm thinking either you die or you get abandoned. Oh, my gosh. Now me laying there at 11, they amputate my leg. And when I wake up, there's no family around. I am fearful. A nurse is trying to calm me down. Tells me that I am going to be able to do amazing things in life. Just just hold on, kid. You're going to make it. My mom shows up the next day. She's gotten off work, came from Indiana, came up to visit, and she's upset that I had had an attitude because she was like, no matter what, kids are supposed to respect adults. But I was upset because I'd lost my leg and I didn't know I was going to do, that was going to happen. The nurse is still telling me how positive and how things are going to happen in my life and I'll be used mightily to do great things. My mom walks in and says, she's giving you false hope. You see, you're crippled. You understand that? You won't be able to do any of those things. Do you understand that? And I was reared with a response whenever my mom or, or adult would speak to me. It's yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Right. And in, in this response, in this back and forth with her, I was like, well, mom, I want to play basketball. She said, you're not going to be able to do that. You understand? You're a cripple. And I was like, so I'm looking back at the nurse. She said, don't look at her. Look at me. I'm your mom. And she's like, do you understand? You are crippled. And she, I said, yeah, yes, ma'am. And she said, now say it. And she forced me to say it. And when I was slow to say it, she slapped me and said, say it. And I said, I'm a cripple. And at that moment, brother, I was broken. And then just as she left, she thought it was a dose of reality. Kid, you're going to have to use your mind. You're crippled. There's nothing you can do. Because she had believed that there were limitations on I chose to try to prove her wrong. And as a result of that, this is how I evolved into who I am today. But it took me, Dennis, 30 years after that to overcome the words she put over me there. It wasn't until I was 44 that I was wore shorts confidently and openly so that people could see I was an amputee. And the moment I did, Under Armour sees me. I end up modeling for them. Um, I end up speaking at a small event. That event turned into a larger event. Next thing I know, I'm speaking to a nation of nationwide companies and all share my passion and story. But I'm doing so because I feel like I'm behind. I'm late. Dennis, I, I got started so late that I feel like I have to make up time. I don't I have catch time it. to waste, you know? And so... Uh, brother, I was working a full-time job, 16 hours a day at times, 12 hours on a low day, working for General Motors. I was in leadership there, career path set, seven, six-figure income. I'm set, but I was set. I was selling my dream yeah. for a job, you know? <sighs> and so I never was going to be anything until I quit. I walked off that job, and my income went up because my network created opportunities for me, the networking. Yeah. And my net worth got larger the moment I quit that job. First of all, James, I have goosebumps, man. I really, I literally have goosebumps because 
that resonates in so many ways oh my gosh first I have goosebumps I really do that's an amazing story um to start it off but using that chip on your shoulder I tell people to drive you is amazing and I just man I can't condone you enough for that and to be able to oh my gosh how how to be able to walk away from General Motors and that security because we talk to people about that all the time to be able to do that and to go on that takes man that talk about a bigger calling (laughs) well you know brother when you're talking about a calling I really feel like um Growing up, there was, I remember, this is a small thing, but I remember a lady said to me in church, and I was only uh, 14, she grabbed my hand as I was headed out of the church, and she said, I don't know who you are, but God's got something big for you. But she said, you're going to go through some stuff to become it, though, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember when she said that, it just stuck out. It was just weird that a lady would just randomly grab me and tell me that something great is going to happen. But in order to become great, I've got to go through great trial. Yeah. I didn't know that the turmoil would take to overcome. And even though I had accomplished things, playing basketball as an amputee, doing different things that I had done, there were many things I haven't accomplished because I didn't even know they were possible. I didn't know about opportunities. And and so by me being hidden and fighting, resisting, accepting my challenges, the fact that I'm an amputee, by resisting that, there are people I could have set free from their personal torments. I could have encouraged, there are things I could have done. And so now that I've I've found my purpose and I found my calling, uh, I can't imagine doing anything else. I'll travel anywhere, anytime to impact and improve lives. And what it did was it companies that used to make legs for me and I used to struggle not having the money to get it, have to wait and I had low level legs. Now I get free technology. I get it before anyone else gets it in the world first, and I get to try it out and give them feedback. I get to stress the limits of it. And then if I find someone who's in need, they will do things for them that you can't imagine. And I was like, man, I am truly living my dream. I'm speaking. uh, The speaking engagements turned into uh, 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 videos, and then the videos turned into a million four people uh, subscribing to hear me speak. Isn't that crazy? I that mean, is brother, crazy. I was, this is all, I stepped into my calling. Yeah. And that answer, that call, man, opened up doors that I never thought possible. Wow. And that, and just to think of the amount, of, like you said, the amount of people you help, it, it's amazing how many people just really need to resonate with. I, I say that all the time to people is they, they need to see that portion of you because they're going through something that's similar. It may not be yeah. a leg. It may oh, be yeah. something complete. You just resonated with me with losing. I, I lost my colon years ago, and I just had to go back for surgery uh, mm-hmm. for a month in Cleveland. And that's one of the questions I was going to ask you is, how, what did you what, what was your reaction when you found out you lost your leg and there was no other option for that from that moment? What was your reaction, initial reaction? I, well, this, this, is a, this is my initial reaction was this. I... Um, I didn't know it happened, so I was surprised. And I struggled because it didn't feel like it was gone because I had this thing called phantom uh, pains. Uh, The foot that was gone, the leg, part of my leg that was gone was still itching. It felt like someone was sticking needles in it. And I remember getting up, wanting to go to the bathroom, and I went to take a step, and I fell and broke open all my stitches again because it felt like it was still there. There It didn't seem like it was real. That was gone. And uh, when when I... 
realized it was gone, I asked them if I could see it. I was 11, and they took me to a room, and I got to see the part they amputated. And I can remember trying to reconnect with it. And it, it's kind of like when, when a season is over in your life, when something is gone, we often miss that season without realizing that God has opened up a brand new opportunity, that new opportunities are available to you. Me losing that leg meant getting rid of the walker, of the braces, of the crutches. It meant freedom, but I didn't know it. I lost something, but I gained something without realizing. Yeah. And that, that chip on my shoulder, that was the best part of what I gained. But realizing that was gone, it was shock. It was, uh, now what? Now I, if I don't have a leg, who am I? Because it's kind of like having a personal funeral and no one attends with you, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a good way of explaining it. Yeah, that's, what, what, wow. What happened, what happened with the nurse? Have you ever talked to her since? Well, you know what? I, I, I just got invited to come back to speak okay. at uh, Shriners Hospital. So the very place where all that trauma took place for me. But also, it was the worst moment and the best moment. Sure. But it didn't become the best until I looked back, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm going to get the chance to go back and speak to those kids. In fact, now, I get to travel all over and meet kids and do things with kids and teach them. I, I just, last year, I ran with a child and a triathlon, the okay. last portion of it. They brought a little kid out, 16 months old, that had the same challenge I was born with. And he I let him run beside me. We both had on matching prosthetics, same side, same issue. This kid will never know limitations. He doesn't even, uh, he will grow into it and it'll be just natural for him. Yeah. And so what was a hang up for me will be a handle for him to open doors, you know? The power that you installed in people just by doing that is just incredible. Oh, man. <laughs> incredible. Inc I mean, I just, um, that's amazing. How, how long have you been, how long have you been speaking for about your, your journey? Well, th this is, this is going to sound horrible, but <laughs> to people, because most people think there's a long trek or journey to get to a place. I began speaking uh, maybe three and a half years ago. Okay. And in that time, my first engagement was probably about six people. Okay. My second engagement was about 700. My third engagement, 10,000. Um, and I never saw the crowd. In fact, the larger the crowd got, the lights get in your way. You don't see anything anyway. Yeah. So, but I was never speaking to uh, the audience. I was speaking to an audience of one. I was speaking to... Uh, to the 11-year-old me that was afraid of what would happen. Oh, I was speaking yeah. to the teenage version of myself who felt rejected and thought no one ever would love him. I was speaking to the 40-year-old version of myself who still felt inadequate and wondered when, when do you get to the point where you stop giving a darn about what other people think of you and get to the point where you, you live your purpose and yeah. stop trying to appease people that don't care about you anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That's how do you get, how do you get over, how'd you get over that hump? Man, it you... was, I was kind of forced into it. Right. Okay. And that, um, when they made my uh, prosthetic for me, uh, finally got an upgraded first time I ever had one, uh, that was for a high activity person. My mom came out the same one that once slapped me is now 
sitting there wanting to see me in shorts because I said, I'm going to do it. It was like a big announcement that I'm going to wear shorts. And she came out. And the process, when he made the leg to for me, said, go ahead and take off uh, running, will you? And I was like, man, I'm so used to pain and some of the different frictions and stuff. He was like, no, this is going to be fine. Go ahead and run. And when I went to run, it was like, wow, I don't feel any kind of discomfort. And it, you can't even tell when I run or, or move anymore. I mean, it's just the technology has changed so much. But as I was coming back, I saw that stoic, hardcore woman break down in tears. Brother, that was a change and a shift for me, you know? Because you saw her shifting. Yes, you know, like the limitations that she saw in me fell off. And then the limitations that I had placed on myself were also falling off in the same moment. You see? Oh, yeah. It, there has to be a, a moment where there's a paradigm shifting you where you, where I wanted to be more and I wanted to serve more. I was like, what is the purpose of my life? If it's just so that I can go to work, pay bills, retire at 65, die at 78, then I wasted life. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to be more. And uh, when the opportunity came, my speaking engagement started paying me enough that um, but I I went from volunteering to speak that for that group of six people and to a check of 40,000 in the same year. Wow. You know, it just totally, you know, just go from one spectrum to like, wow. Yeah. yeah. Just like that. That's just it. And that's how powerful your, your message is within you. And, but you deliver it. I mean, it, it's delivered because of your passion. I love it. It's a, uh, I can't imagine what that was like to see your mother, like the, the tears and how that, I can't imagine what that's like. To, oh, what a relief that had to have been. <laughs> to finally have someone acknowledge that they limited you, that yeah. you didn't have the limits, right? And then you realize the power you had given them, that if you had just taken ownership of that yourself and said, I am not going to accept what you say. But but I find that when people see you, and they when they, I'm sure you've had this happen with you guys, you talk about what you're going through. You said, man, I had the surgery, I had this. They were like, I don't know how you went through that. I couldn't have done it. I don't know how you're back to doing that already. I couldn't have done it. They put the limitations they have on them yeah. and put a brace around you yeah. And then we accept these limitations. Man, I am I, I I live by that mantra, life without limitations. I I don't have any. I don't know what I can't do. That's why I started powerlifting and, and setting records and stuff. And because and I went against able-bodied people. And and I found that I didn't see myself as disabled, you know? Yeah. And I just I just I just can't see that. I don't see that anymore. Before I could only see my disability. Right now, it, it colored my worldview, and now, man, I see the whole world in full color. I love that. I I'm on the same page with you on the limitations. I'm going to send you a chapter from my book that I wrote in 2012. It's so funny you say that because, oh my gosh, that's it's so crazy you say that. And what kind of a blessing that must have been to see, uh, to be able to see that limitation lifted from your mom's thoughts. Oh. I mean, to be you know, so many people don't get to see that part, right? So, yeah. you know, they passed down or whatever. So to be able to see that, uh, good for you. That's yeah. good for you, man. That's it. That's it. So tell me, tell me a little bit about, um, 
how did you get into basketball? And, and let's, I want to talk about that. Cause I've always loved basketball. I didn't make it to the NBA, which was my first dream. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't, I, I, I don't, I don't even want to give an excuse about my height. So, uh, or anything yeah. like that, because it doesn't, that's just an excuse, but yeah, I still didn't make it either way. So I was yeah. hoping CBA, I would have played for Detroit or something, but anyway. <laughs> well, it's so, funny that you mentioned that. You're going to love this. So being that I was born in Indiana, basketball was everything at the time. Yeah. And uh, in my hometown, uh, we had three high schools and all three kept being ranked in the top 10 in the nation. And we just had, we just had studs, six, 11, seven footers, all Americans, top kids, kids that would have been drafted uh, today, you know. Um, it was amazing that I came through with all that competition at that time. But um, I saw them and I saw the attention they got. Yeah. And I wanted to play basketball. Because that was the one place I thought, if I could prove myself there, yeah. that, that's, that would prove that there are no limits for me. Right. So uh, with my prosthetic, um, I decided I would try out for the basketball team. I think it was seventh grade. And I uh, just uh, was getting used to being able to run and walk and all those things. And I did make the team. The coach leaves a sign up on the outs uh, a list of who made the team on the wall, and he's gone. And I didn't see my name, and I'm the only one that didn't make it. And I was like, okay, I'll be back. So it, the very drills that they did, they cut me, the lateral movement that I lacked. I practiced that every morning. 4 a.m., I would get up, and I would run to a mile, and I'd come back. I'd do push-ups and all those things. So I started working out. I started running so that the very next year when the tryouts came, and I tried out for the team. I got my first dunk in eighth grade. And I remember um, how that felt. I used to mimic and watch able-bodied people that played post. Like, I watched A.C. Green. I watched Patrick Ewing. I watched Alonzo Mourning. I watched those guys in the post. And while I would watch games, even as an MT, I had a trampoline in my, my room that I got my mom and grandma to go in and buy for me. And I would sit there and I would just bounce on it the entire game because I wanted to have the stamina on jumping. And so I, I was able to dunk off a of vertical in the eighth grade. Oh and um, so that was if, – if I could get to my left foot, I could dunk on anyone. It didn't matter. If I got to my left foot, I had – and so what I didn't have in the physical ability, I had to make up in anger. Ray Tolbert, the NBA player that was born out of Anderson, Mr. Basketball, won a championship at IU. His mother went to church with me. Okay. And she had Ray Lee, as she calls him, work with me. So we go to the local boys' school uh, club, and he's dunking on me and stuff, and he's showing me post moves. And he's teaching me an old man's game, below the rim stuff, stuff okay. that I would be able to take with me. And then he... Uh, he told me, when you're up against a better player, you have to have more passion than him. You have to you have to make him go to a level of intensity that breaks him. And so I was like, I got it. So before every game, whoever I was up against, I would envision them doing the most awful things to my grandmother, and I would hate them. And so when we get into the game, whoever I was guarding, I brought everything. There wasn't a game I played, brother, that I didn't have tears because 
I had, I felt like I was playing for validation. I was playing for, yeah. for, for proof that I, that my life mattered, that I was more than a handicap. And so, uh, my greatest moment in sports, which led to me getting a scholarship in, in college as an amputee. My coach didn't even know I was an amputee. I used to wear high, high socks, yeah. long shorts, and a knee brace to pretend like it was just that. And so they didn't know. And in those days, we used to use VHS tapes. We'd make tapes. We'd send them off, get interest, uh, send paper clippings to the college. That's how I... I, I recruited myself to colleges and got a scholarship. I just, I wanted that validation. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so my senior year, 1992, there's a kid named uh, Grant Hill, Sean Bradley, uh, Damon Bailey. Uh, there's uh, uh, Jamal Mashburn. I think there was these, yeah. all these big name guys. They were McDonald's All-Americans. And they and and they came to Anderson, Indiana, to scrimmage against the Anderson University team. The coach, Coach Bates, his son was a friend of mine, and I was like, I didn't make the varsity team in high school, but I made the AAU teams, and I won a state championship that way. And I didn't make the high school team because the coach said, if you were a year younger, right. Then he was like, I would have kept it. If it was this, he it was the, he really had a fear of my amputation, I think. That's what at least what I used to think. Right. And then I, as I get older, I look back and I look at my work ethic now, and I was like, if I had had that then, you know, I think I would have overcome it anyway. Excuses, yeah. right? Yeah. So if I'm honest with myself, my mantra put me in the game, coach. Give me the opportunity. If he had given it to me. I wouldn't have used it right. But by not giving it to me, it turned me into a beast. Um, trying out, I dislocated my kneecap during the tryout. Okay. I pushed it back in and finished the run. And he was like, he's like, you, you want this more than anything, don't you? And I was like, I do. And so it was the coach actually let me on to the AAU team where I had to beat out the same guys that made me beat me on the varsity. But I got the scholarship by guarding Damon Bailey. He was the biggest star in 1992. Damon uh, just happened to be IU star. Bob Knight had said he was the best point guard he had ever seen when he was in the eighth grade, right? And so the kid had all this fanfare. And when I watched him, I saw that he had a hiccup in, in his movement. Right okay. before he did everything, if, if he was going to shift, he was going to go to his right hand, he, would, he had a tell. And when I saw that, I was like, Coach, let me guard Damon. And he was like, Damon? I was like, I want him. Man. I want him. Just give me a minute with him. Because I knew that videotape me guarding Damon would be epic, right? For me. Yeah. yeah. Not him. But him seeing me, he would take it easy because he was looking at the leg. So when I got out there, I imagined him doing horrible things. I got a, I got in his face, man, and I'm talking about I, this is playoff intensity. I'm I'm ready. I'm on the verge of fighting this kid. And he's just like, hey, this is this is exhibition. This is not even serious. For me, this is game seven, eight seconds left. We're yes. gonna win this game. And uh, so I steal the ball from him. And I was like, Yeah, you know, and then so now I'm really hyped. So he comes back again and I get a block on him. And then he he tries to post me up. 
And uh, so he goes to post up, but he doesn't know. My left foot was available. Soon as he let it go, right? Here's the rim, here's me. I block his shot, and now I'm next level with this thing, you know? <laughs> and the, the thing about that energy is that it becomes contagious, you know? Yeah. And so that was, that was me, man. That's what opened the door for me. So I get to college, and uh, I, it was, I that, 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 that passion got me a scholarship. And so my crowning moment in high school was when they were announcing your name to come across the stage to get your diploma. They also announced that I had a basketball scholarship and most of the guys who were on varsity didn't get that. My four years was paid for. They, even though they had been on the team, yeah. they didn't have that tenacity or the, cause I had to chase it down, brother. I love that. I love, I love that whole mentality because that I think exactly the same way. I think so much. One thing they'll never say is that Dennis didn't, you know, he didn't try hard on out on the court or out Come on the on. field because it, you know, oh. I was the same way, man. I, uh, my brother-in-law goes, he goes, he goes, damn Dennis. He goes, yeah, we're just playing for fun. I said, ain't no such thing, man. This is every game is game seven. I love it. I love that you yeah. say that because it's, I don't play pickup games. A pickup game to me is, is real. Yeah. Yeah. I'm <laughs> man that is what i love about that what i what i find about people that are infectious that that pour themselves out to people yeah. and people are like well won't you burn out I'm like no not at all because it 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 just it adds to my wick every time i'm around a person like you you know what i mean it adds to my uh my fuel it makes me burn even brighter it adds more embers to this thing every time i'm around people that can pick up on that it's and I see their lives change as a result of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, man, I totally resonate. I agree so much. I'll tell you a funny story about that too, because I had a client that I went to their house and I played their son and, and I was, I was very similar, you know, what I didn't match, what I didn't have in talent. I, I matched with intensity. I was crazy. Right. Like yeah. I was like, I was going like before the game, like people, I don't know, now they probably would have tested me every week for like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, they would have been like, he's got to be on something because I was my intensity, my emotional intensity was crazy. And so I had a, this was after high school and um, I had, so in high school, there was this really good guy. He was with a local team and he was awesome. He was six, six. I played center at five ten or five or five eleven. I played wow. center and I had tall guys, but you know, I was, yeah. I was lifting a lot. So there, the paint was mine as far as moving around, you know? And so oh, yeah. uh, he, he, um, I coach was like, Dennis, you're going to guard him. He's like, you know, all state or whatever. I'm like, that's okay. And he was marked up. I mean, he was out. I was keeping him out by that three point line as much as possible. And, uh, you know, so fast forward three years later, I'm, I'm at his mother's house and she's going to set an appointment with me and she's all happy. And like, she's like, Oh, you know, okay, well, we'll do it. We'll do it Monday. I said, okay. She goes, yeah, you played for uh, Tenora, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah. And she goes, okay. She goes, I remember that game. And I, you know, some of those guys were really rough. I said, oh, that, that wasn't me. That must have been one of my teammates. <laughs> she goes, well, I'm right, I'm right ready to leave the door, James. And she goes, you know, I got the tape. I'm going to go ahead and watch that when you go this weekend and see, see and just watch that game. She canceled the appointment. <laughs> she canceled the appointment she's she's like you tore up my what did you do to my son you know but you know i just played it it was all a passion i mean i it is it was 100 percent the passion and and you know you made a son 
you gave her son an opportunity to discover what he's made of. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. yeah he that, went that on to, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that, man. I love that. I, I, so that's so good. But um, so what does it look like now? I mean, what's what's your big goal? I want to share. Can we share really quickly the story uh, about the prosthetic leg with the gentleman who? Yes. Can we share that really quick? I, I want to tell you that this is a wonderful story, and it just recently happened. Um. It just we're talking within uh, four weeks, four weeks, four or five weeks ago. Um, I get a phone call and they were like, "Hey, we have a gentleman that needs encouragement. Um, he's losing his leg, and riding a motorcycle is his life. His biggest fear is that he'll never be able to ride again. And riding is his life; it's his fuel." And so I get the phone call. I go out to meet his family, and he tells me that's all he wants to do. So I was like, hey, it's possible. We're going through the rehab. We're going to be working with him after the surgery, keeping his spirits up. Everything's positive. But then um, I get a phone call, and they were like, could you please come to the hospital? I was like, what's going on? They were like, he had a setback. His heart isn't doing as well. He can't go to dialysis anymore. They say his heart isn't strong enough. And so there's nothing they can do. If they do surgery, he possibly die. It's too bad. And so they're sending them home. And so his wife shares with me. They said, Francis, you keep saying over and over again, give me my coach. That's what he referred to me. And he was like, I, I don't want to die and not be whole. I want my leg, no matter what. Yeah. So when we talked about getting him his leg, he said, well, insurance won't cover it. He has, he has to go through some things. And because of his condition, his health, it'd be unethical. They won't do it. And um, so I made a phone call. And we were able to get him the leg immediately. I was like, hey, I, this guy, this is everything for him. And I'm pulling on all favors. Would you do this for me? Within 16 hours, they had built the leg free of charge. And I, when I say free of charge, I'm talking about an above the knee, which is going to be about a $60,000, $70,000 leg. Oh free God. of charge. They prepared, they build it, they deliver it just for him. And when they did it, I was, uh, it fulfilled his, his sense of being whole, but he always wanted that Harley Davidson decal. So I drove to a uh, Harley Davidson dealership, told them what I was looking for. They gave me one that would fit. I go back and I place the decal on his leg. He reaches up, shakes my hand, says, Thank you. And then he passed away. The great thing about it is being able to fulfill a man's wish, yeah. to allow him to die whole. It was everything to him and it was everything to me. Instead of it being a sad moment, it was a moment of pride for the family. Like he died happy. Yeah. He got what he wanted. This was him. He was whole. Man, that's the, I think that's the end goal I learned from Francis's life for all of us is that, man, I, I came as an empty vessel. Yeah. And and throughout the course of life, man, I started feeling myself either with positive or negative. Whichever side you feed is the one that will grow. Yeah. And the more that I began to feed myself with something positive, I find purpose. And, I, and my purpose builds that passion. And then there's a sense of accomplishment and fulfillment. And if I were to go today, I'm whole. I'm whole, you know? Yeah. And that's what I, I, I want that for everyone, man, to know that. I've done everything. I mean, I, I have kids and all those things. I have family and, you know, 
but as far as my personal ambition, mission, and touching lives, then I've 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 gone beyond my my benchmark, right? So now yeah. I have to set new ones. I I have to keep thinking about like, wow, I cast my vision. This I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm thinking about every dream I ever had as a kid, every dream I had as an adult, right? They was too small. Yeah. I played it safe and didn't know I was. The stuff that I thought was way out there, one day I'll do this, one day I'll do that. And then I look up, brother, we have 108 million views on videos with me speaking. How no, that's, <laughs> you know, I mean, like, yeah. man, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, that's, yeah. Realize? And then they were like, hey, you ought to write a book. And I'm like, man, I never even thought about that. And then, I was like, I don't even know the first thing about it. And next thing I know, I'm, we're having conversations. Things are happening. I'm yeah. a keynote speaker at the NFL Combine with Michael Knight. Uh, and I'm like, I made it to the NFL with my gifts. Yeah. Not with my physique, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my gosh. I love it. I, I And I, I love the magic of thinking big, the book. It just, to me, is exactly what you said. We think so small. Oh, and- my and and just like if you had any idea what you're capable of, you have any idea what you're capable of, you would not you would you would set those achievements at such a higher level. So I I wow, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. I uh, uh I did what is it that what is it that drives you daily right now? What is it that really like I mean what's what's the next big goal for you as far as that goes, James? Do you have a wow. big one in play? Man, I've got some big things that are happening. Yeah. No, so th- this is it. Um, now I'm at the stage where I'm going to be doing, a, I went from being local and impacting the regional. I've got some very big national things that are happening. I'm working on something at the beginning of the year. I will be the face of an international company and doing some amazing things. And, and so now it's about duplicating myself. It's about grabbing other people because I think the biggest problem would be if it were just James. If I die, then it dies. Yeah. But by me duplicating myself and others and finding other people, one of my guys that I'm mentoring, my mentee, um, Cameron Ayala, who was on the show The Bachelor, he was on two seasons, lost his leg above the knee. Grabbed him from day one. I've been working with him and doing things with him and seeing that kid take off. Then I look over there and I have Noel, who's on Survivor now, uh, and working with her and, and mentoring and seeing her develop. Yeah. I've got Mike Braxton in New Jersey, first African-American, first in the nation to ever be an amputee and become a canine officer. And now he's speaking. I've got Gary Weiland, who's on American Ninja TV show. And now I've got all these different people and I'm duplicating myself and connecting with people. And none of us are duplicates of each other. Right. So I'm helping them. And so my next move is to take and see people chase down their dreams yeah, and duplicate what I'm doing so that we can change the world, man. I don't want to just, I, I had my niche or was working with amputees, mm-hmm. but my voice is bigger than that. Way bigger. And so I'm not going to limit it. You know, I'm like, so brother, a book is coming. Um, um, there are opportunities with film and, and, and you name it, but, um, all of my mentors, people I used to look up to now, um, my voice plays alongside theirs. I'm doing things. But Dennis, even connecting with you, brother, I, 
I don't know why God ordered our steps, but we our paths crossed so that we could do more than just have a conversation. I so agree. You ask me what I'm here for? I'm here for it all, man. I got to die in. There's no way I can go through this life and have been through all the hell that I've been through to get to this point. And this was it. No. Man. Yeah. No. That's my biggest fear is not dying empty. That's yeah. my biggest. I want it. I want the tank to be gone. Here on, I am. Man. Yeah. I want, I want to go up there and be, it got to be like, Hey, you, yeah. did, you did what I asked. And yeah. I, don't, I don't want to see the version I could have been. That's scary. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I love that. So I, I hope, I hope to be an intricate part of getting as much as I can do for you to get that voice out there because um, Let's do it. That's, I think uh, I think this is you have an amazing message and I think this is just getting started. The next interview I'm putting it on camera right now. The next interview I'm going to do with James. We're going to do it in person. He's going to be in one of the magazines. And we're going to do it in person. We're going to blow it up. It might be a three part series. We'll see what happens. <laughs> it's not that far away for us to make an excuse. So. No. Brother, yeah. put me in the game, coach. Put me in the game. Yes, all right. You got it. You got it. So anything else you want to add, James, before we end today's show? Yeah, Dennis, I want to I want to add this part here. Yeah. I want to thank you for being who you are. I want to thank you. No, no. I want to thank you for the lives you touch that you don't even realize. You give voice to people. You give a, you allow them to have an echo to touch even more people. Maybe you don't realize it. Maybe you do. There are times where maybe you question, man, am I doing what God's called me to do? Am I doing everything? And I'm telling you, you make a difference in my life, even this moment. And I want you to keep doing that, brother. I really appreciate you. Thank you for being who you are. That's all I got. Thank you very much for that. Wow. Thank you. And I appreciate you. And I'm so glad the way that it's funny how God works and connects people. And so he's got a plan that's way bigger than anything I I can put on the books. So I'm excited. Uh, Everybody tune in for what me and James have in store in the future, because this is not the end of our conversations. That's for sure. You got it, brother. All right. Thank you. Yep. All right. Bless you, brother. Look, I am just a man on a mission. If I want it, then I get it. I go. And if you're trying to test me a beast, you're going to need Liam Neeson. The chance that you're taking is flagrant. You're testing your luck. If you think you'll make it out, then you're sadly mistaken.